0: Hi everyone, I'm Summer. I'm Carrie. And this is Copsia Podcast. I'm nervous. <laughs> oh don't be nervous, It'll be fine. Fuck. <laughs> <Punk. laughs> oh my god! What the hell just happened? What the hell? Oh. What is happening? <laughs> um, make sure you come back. We're gonna do this bi-weekly. So make sure you come back to talk to, to us more about, you know, sex, drugs, and self-improvement. Welcome back, y'all. Uh, today we're joined by Molly Murphy Tindall, um, who I will forever be indebted to for uh, giving me the terms decentralized cults. Um, So today we're going to be talking about our experiences growing up in evangelicalism and our deconstruction of our faith and, and all of those fun things. Today we pick up where we left off. This is part three in our three-part series about um, escaping evangelicalism. Um, We pick up where we left off in the middle of our purity culture conversation um, with broaching the topic of compulsory monogamy. Um, If you haven't heard the first two parts of this, I do encourage you to go back and start there so that you can hear the entirety of the conversation. I know it's long, but it's worth it unless you are my family. And again, I will (laughs) reiterate my boundary of this series is not for you Um, because there are some things that will likely be upsetting and there's no reason to create potential conflict when it's unnecessary. Um, But please... Um, For the rest of our audience, feel free to send us any questions you may have. We may elaborate in, you know, later episodes, um, but we're always happy to talk about our experiences and how we're learning and growing from them. So how hard was it for you guys to let go of the mandate of monogamy?
1: Extremely extremely hard really times it's hard to go from like your whole life being like I have to have my person and this is gonna be my person they're gonna be my best friend and we're gonna do everything together and it's gonna be happy wonderful and magical to realizing that I can't be that for somebody else I cannot be everything. And I
0: didn't want to be, because it's not a healthy dynamic. It's <laughs> exhausting. That's what it took for me was actually learning what out. healthy relationships look like and recognize, and, but I had like a light bulb moment and I was like, oh, so like, you can't like, that's not a healthy relationship and you can't force it into being a healthy relationship.
2: James and yeah. I were talking about this the other day too, because when you focus on monogamy in this way, it also is at the expense of a lot of other platonic intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Like James's best friend is not a partner of his, but they have been friends since they were like seven years old. They have a level of intimacy my my partner, my spouse, and I will never have. Right. Um, and that's good because mm-hmm. I, like you said, it's too much pressure. I can't do all of that. And it took a lot of conversations for a few years of, James and I, like, thinking about the be-all, end-all and me, like, I think it helped in that case to not have any prior experiences with anybody because I wasn't always looking for the one person. There just was this one person. And then all of a sudden the illusion fell and I couldn't be everything to this person because that was just way too much. And I was pushing him to make friends because I'm like, I can't do this for you all the time. Like, you're an extrovert, but you require way too much of me. You need more people. So when we actually had the conversation about polyamory last year, We'd already been in a spot where we realized how both of us had had so few options and experiences. We couldn't successfully be everything for each other. And that in order to have a good relationship, we needed to broaden our balance and not just be everything. And it's made everything a lot better. It doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. not hard sometimes. It doesn't mean that polyamory and ethical non-monogamy aren't difficult at times, but our life is much more rewarding now.
0: So were you guys taught that God makes you, makes the one for you and you have to, you know, God will give you that one person.
2: And it's That's a common.
1: Out in your town, at your church.
2: <laughs> or else. Nowhere else. I think that would have been considered like way too much like folklore. Like there wasn't asking for that. So no, that Uh wasn't a real thing. A lot of people, some of the girls who went to college would meet their spouses through college. Um, there were Mm -hmm. different levels of being allowed to go to schools and colleges at the at the churches that I grew up in. Um, but a lot of people also just married people from the church. Not necessarily as young as my family did. Like we ended up on the much more fundamentalist end of things, and so that kind of like that young marriage was even though my mom was like terrified of you're not financially able to have kids just yet, but you need to get married, but you shouldn't get married, but you need to get married, but you shouldn't get married, and like did that whole back and forth forever and you were just entirely confused by her. Um like James will tell you, my my spouse, um, the one girl that he had a crush on decided that she had she got a boyfriend in college and wasn't interested in him and he was just like, Well, there's no one else for me at this church, therefore I will be single my whole life. Wow. Even though he was in college at the time. And, um, yeah, just really odd things. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely that idea that you have to, like, pick a spouse from that group. Or it's kind of odd if you didn't. Or, like, the couple groups. Like, there's a couple churches that interact. So you might be able to marry from a different church. But I call it, um, it almost becomes a kind of incest. Um, Because these families, these kids grew up together as, like, very good friends. There's often large families that have kids, like, the same grade levels. And I'm, I'm, my sister is married to my brother-in-law, James's brother. And I know a lot of other double married, which isn't anything wrong with it, but there are a lot of other double married families, um, within these churches and people that kind of grew up in the same environment, getting married. Um, So it feels almost incestuous.
1: And having to call each other like brother and sister in the church doesn't help.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) My
1: grandpa and her sister were double married to brothers um and so now i have like double second cousins and it's weird to explain it to people yeah. um because like our towns were so small like my grandparents um my grandma is from smithville oklahoma population of like 40 people somewhere um so like when they got married like there really like wasn't anybody else so it was like they had to um but it is, like, really incestuous to, like, think about it. Because you have to call your oh. sister and, like, especially in small town, like, I'm raised with these people that I've known since, like, birth, basically. And, like, it's weird. Like, I don't want, like, it's, I didn't want to do it. So everybody that I dated in high school was not from my hometown. It was so. From a different place that just moved there. So,
2: I think part of What makes it feel incestuous in the community I'm from, which, again, is in a large city, but a small community, and you don't do anything outside that community. So it's basically a city of 350 people that live all over the metro area, but it's still its own, like, almost independent state as it exists. Um, The part of what makes it feel incestuous is these are not people that are getting married and leaving, like James and I did. Like, there's very few people that leave. And so it also becomes a process of like vertical integration because you have great grandparents and grandparents and parents and children and then their kids after they get double married into these families and they raise their kids in the same environments that they were raised in without question even if they've gone to college half like most of the time they still do this even if they've had a taste of freedom a taste of the outside world they find churches exactly like that when they go to college they find a spouse in those churches they bring them back They stay in the same circles. They might go to Evergreen Baptist instead of Tulsa Bible Church, but they're basically the same thing. And that's part of what frustrates me the most is that these kids coming from people our age are never going to have a chance because everybody they know is going to be there too. And in order to leave, they have to leave absolutely everyone they've ever spoken to before the age of 18 behind them. There's no elders. There's, There's no elders to look up to. There's none of their parents' friends who can help them if their parents pass and and give them stories and comfort. They lose all of their friends. They don't speak to the people that were in their wedding. Yeah, but you know, Carrie. Like I said, it's basically a a small state. It's a small city. Like, it's the
1: same thing. It's really hard, because, like, I... When I finally stopped going to church and college, um, I pretty much lost, like every single friend that I had at church because once they figured out that I wasn't in church anymore and I was a heathen out there having sex and like thinking that people that were gay were like pretty cool you know like doing that kind of stuff like everybody just kind of dropped me so I get it like a little bit not like the full aspect that you mentioned but I get like parts of it because like my church I think we had like 40, 50 people at my church, but there were so many churches, and we all went to, like, high school together, and we all hung out and stuff outside of school, so it was, like, our whole town was like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it was really hard, and, like, I don't really talk to anybody from my hometown anymore, because after I left the church, like, I just didn't see the point in it, and they didn't want anything to do with me anyway. I so, like, why would I try? And it sucked, because I lost so many people from my life. I think I still talk to maybe like three people from that part of my life, maybe. Oh no. Like it, it is hard. I totally. Get it. it makes you feel
2: like you lose your history because there's not yeah. anybody to hold it for you. Sometimes. One hundred
0: percent. Oh, and here we are, the heretics. <laughs> yes.
2: Or as Grace Baldridge slash sip would call us, the late bloomers and prodigal girls. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: wanna. I wanna wanna be out here living my heathen life.
0: (laughs) Oh live your best heathen life. You know who we haven't mentioned? Pat Robertson.
2: (laughs) Oh fuck him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you. I just needed to hear that. I need to hear that at least once a day. You know, because I've been watching people on the internet, you know, post his videos of the last few years, you know, since Trump administration on, and they go on and on about, oh, he's C now. And it drives me crazy. I, I really like it, it almost sends me into a rage when they want to, like, oh, he's just C now. No. He's been saying this shit for decades. Like, this is the most on-brand he's ever been. Right. Like, this is the teaching that has been happening.
2: That's why I've been talking about my experiences a lot more on my Facebook page, like with my Facebook friends. Um, sometimes it's weird to it feels in like some ways like I'm oversharing because this is also like leads to like my mental health struggles and the fact that I basically have broken down since I left, like since I graduated college. And like, but at the same time, it's like. You realize this isn't just my individual life, but this is infiltrating everywhere. My friend's mom, who is no longer comfortable at her church, but still goes because she's been there for 50 years, she's not very comfortable a lot of the time. She believes very differently from people and she'll, she also kind of calls people out on it sometimes. You know, she does not like white Christian nationalism, but a lot of her church does. And it's really interesting to see how these dividing lines fall. But like you said, people are like, oh, this is new. And you're like, no, it's not. I've been, so that's why I keep talking. It's not just because it feels good sometimes to say, I'm hurting, it's because, and and then other people are like, I'm hurting too, and you find that community, it's also because this stuff is directly impacting where we're at now, with Russia and Ukraine, and the conversations about Russian Christian nationalism, and U.S. Christian nationalism, and how a lot of U.S. Christian nationalists are calling out Russia for being Christian nationalists when they are themselves a white Christian nationalist (laughs) nation, and people.
0: Let's see, what else? Have we missed any of the major points?
2: Mental health, Uh, sexuality, gender, purity culture, politics, school. You guys talked about how much your church impacted your school. That is really interesting.
0: Right, we didn't homeschool. Um, We went to public school. Um, I have noticed now, in the intervening years, it has become more popular to have these small private Christian schools based at the churches. I when I went to law school, because I homeschooled my kids, my older two, um, not for religious reasons, but because my my oldest son is autistic and he would have drowned if I put him in the in the public school, and. So, I homeschooled them until I went to law school in 2010. So when I'm getting ready to go to law school, I start looking for schools to put them in. I did not want to put them in. They were gonna have to stay with my parents because I had just left my husband. So I didn't have a place to stay. I thought I was gonna have to live in my van. Um, so my my kids were gonna stay with my parents. I'm like, they, they cannot go to the school to, to the school you're in their district. That's the school I graduated from. They cannot go there. So i started looking for schools for them to go to and i tell you what i went to some of those those private christian schools and they were scary as fuck okay they were awful and, oh, terrifying um several of them uh, might are choctaw so we um you know co- traditionally keep our hair long there was that was, they would not have that there was a lot of shaming like even just in the in the interview where you would go to inquire there would be a lot of shaming about the boys having long hair and yeah a lot of craziness and so I went to college I was told you know my parents taught me to go to college um, because they did break away from the um, patriarchal idea dad was very much more traditional Choctaw in that in that you are not to depend on another person to support you um, his reasoning was a little bit was less uh feminist and more just you know people buy you have to be able to take care of yourself yeah. very much more practical um, and so i went to college and they encouraged me to go to college but then like the more i learned then it was then you're shamed for for getting educated because education takes you away from god Right? Oh, you're getting so smart now. You think you can question what we believe, you know? And like the further I went and going into more advanced education, then it was just then, then it, then it's met with derision, right? Oh, you know, she just keeps going to school. Yeah, she just, you know, I don't know what all they said when I was (laughs) not in the room because they said plenty when I was there. But I'm going to hell for having a tattoo, so we're good. It's fine.
1: Yeah, my that was
0: said at our family Christmas. Oh, jeez.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> How about you, Carrie? How did it affect your school?
1: Um. My sex ed was ran by somebody from one of the churches. Oh, jeez. That was traumatizing. Um. Uh, we. Like, we prayed before every single football game and after every single football game. Um, we had FCA. Belich-
0: I forgot I- about that.
1: Every Sunday night. <laughs> um, it was, like, the whole town of Ardwell is pretty religious. Um, so it was just part of, like, everyday life, like, I remember being in my youth group and we would take the bus to like walmart or something and they would give us those little pamphlets or the ones that look like the dollar bills and tell us to go give them to people the tracks
2: Head and have
1: the tracks. conversations with people about this um it like i can't think of a way that it didn't impact any part of my life at home because it was just ingrained in every single part of it like my, um, I remember my youth pastor. I missed church a couple of times because I was sick. He and the pastor from the church came to my house to make sure that I was going to be at church as soon as I was feeling better because I had missed already, and God was upset with me that I had missed. Excuse me, <laughs> I'm sick. I'm-
0: Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. I remember we had, a. Uh, it used to be my job, we would write postcards to everybody who missed mm-hmm. church yep. and send it to them, which didn't occur to me at the time. Like, why are you harassing these people? They have right to not go to church on Sunday if they want to. But it didn't occur to me at the time because it was presented to us as a way of showing that we care and letting them know we missed them.
1: We had a fellowship program too for... The, as you said, Molly, the young ladies of the church, Uh, (laughs) the, uh, the older ladies of the church, we had these little mailboxes that they made for us and they would write letters for us like every week and leave us little gifts, like encouraging us to come to church or telling us like what we did good that week. Or if they noticed us doing something nice, they would leave us notes
0: wow
1: <laughs> it, it was a lot we are
0: watching you <laughs> they
2: would leave us
1: notes like if they saw us out like at the store or out in the community they would leave us notes in our mailbox saying they saw us
2: that's freaky that's really freaky
1: yeah, that's and they like stalking everyone, my grandparents like my grandparents are they were a big part of the community for a long time because my grandpa was a Sunday school teacher for the boys and my grandma did Sunday school teaching for the girls back in like the nineties or eighties or something. Um, so they knew everybody. Um, and so everybody in town at the church like learned my car and I would tell my parents where I was. Oh if my gosh. I was supposed to be again so much trouble. Um so it really was just part of like my everyday life. <laughs> Could not get away from it in town. Okay. When I was
2: homeschooled. It was obviously a huge part of that. Uh, my parents decided to homeschool for religious reasons. Later, uh, I got my as a through a conversation with my mom. She confessed, we didn't really care about academics. We just wanted you to be home for religious reasons. We wanted you to be a close family and love God and be in your church. And you know, th- good academics, whatever. Like this is important. So, my um my mom started homeschooling me when I was like four or five. Um, I have an adopted brother from Russia that has fetal alcohol syndrome. So they had him in the local Christian school. speaking of local small Christian schools. This one started in the uh, late 1970s, 1980s. Nothing to do with integration. No, no, we won't post anything about, we won't say anything about that. White flight schools. <laughs> um, so Jack's been in, in this one um, through sixth grade and then my parents brought him home. It was put my family in a lot of debt, even with scholarships and help. Um, you know, he, he needed some special help um, with his education. And there's a lot I could talk about with, like, the problems with not having trauma-informed parenting for adopted kids and uh, for kids with special needs and for their siblings as well. Because even the ones that are labeled neurotypical, when you're in that kind of system where you're treated as an adult in order, re- required to basically help, like, have everything roll off your back You have no ability to have um, emotions, basically. So that's a whole conversation. But the homeschooled side, like, we were super into Vision Forum, which is a patriarchal, Christian dominionist uh, subgroup of, like, the Quiverful Movement, kind of connected to ATI and IBLP, kind of independent fundamentalist Baptist, kind of not, just kind of this bridge of a bunch of different groups. They sold books and CDs and DVDs and children's toys, heavily gendered, all of them. Um, My parents got into CHEF, which was Christian Home Educator Fellowship, and its Bible verse was literally like as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. So heavily quiverful, a lot of ATI, IBLP, Free Will Baptist influence in that organization. And that is how they structured a lot of their, um, my mom especially structured a lot of our social interactions with co-ops early on through there. So it was, it was constant. My mom quote quote the verse a lot when they sit down and wake up and rise up and not verse from Proverbs. Like, let it be all around them. Um, so heavily gendered as far as like chores and what we did and what we were expected to do. You know, I'm still don't think my brother knows how to clean a bathroom. Um, my sister would not, my sister is two years down, would not really help with dinner, so that was on me. So I learned all the household skills to the point where when I was 16 and James asked my dad if he could uh, court me my dad said, yep, yeah, she's pretty much, basically synopsis. She's pretty much ready to have a family. So yeah, that's fine. That's a lot of pressure. It's 16. Yeah. yeah. A- I was a month from 17, but it's still a fucking lot of pressure. That's
0: a lot. She's about breeding age now. Go ahead and take her. Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. What the hell? The problem is like i didn't know anything about anything my mom told me about periods i was terrified my body changed without my knowledge she couldn't she didn't talk to me about a whole lot so it changed without my consent even like i felt like everything in my life was unstable and betraying me about my body because and there wasn't an ability to talk about it um because it made her uncomfortable and because we weren't Mm -hmm. supposed to talk about it with any friends because it was supposed to be very hush hush because what if another girl finds out about this without her mother telling her and how terrible and embarrassed my mother would be about that and so you lose all these support systems except your family and it's very much like the way that emotional abusers isolate their victims it's very much how this structure operates and i know that there's great homeschooling and i know there's people that homeschool for great reasons even if some of those are religious like my friend in kansas who homeschools her four kids um but they do a lot of like questions and answers and looking at different aspects of the world and she anyways that's the whole thing but this particular method which is very much in that 1980s 1990s homeschool legal defense association method, uh, Michael Ferris and all that. Like it's really traumatizing. It is, it, it's a great way to either breed robots or to breed traumatized people, um, that have to <laughs> in therapy.
0: What about Tales? You didn't mention <laughs> Oh, no, That
2: was like one of the only
1: bright spots I can talk about for yes. me this,
2: because it was the only time I ever heard. God thinks you're special and He loves you very much. And not you're a you're a worm, and you're going to right. hell if you don't believe. And uh, even if you do believe, you're still a worm because you're a worm.
0: I had never recognized. That's why I liked Veggie Tales. It is. It was the positive message instead nice. of the fire and brimstone. You're nice. a terrible. That's
2: it. God you made you special and He loves you very much. Even oh,
1: we're still so sweet about everything. <laughs> I
0: love VeggieTales. I, I can still sing most of the songs. I make jokes about it to my kids, and they don't get it, because they never, because yeah. I didn't make them do that. And so they're like, what are you talking about? Never mind. <laughs> never <laughs> mind. It's my trauma coming back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Even Sunday Fridays was like, VeggieTales was like, it slaps.
2: It's like the only good thing that comes out of this environment. <laughs> like, the,
0: yep. the hairbrush. Where is my hairbrush? I still sing that song when I'm looking for a hairbrush. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they both did puppets in high school, and so they did. They dubbed a lot of, uh, or lip-synced to a lot of VeggieTales songs. Oh. <laughs> he can still do all his puppets and his voices. And... <laughs> I live with VeggieTales every day, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do they still have the, I remember, was it the late 90s into the early 2000s? Somewhere in that time frame, they had started like a Christian satellite network where like all, it was all Christian programming. So, like, a lot of these, like, Dove TV or something like that. And so a lot of these families would shut off their regular TV and only do that so that only Christian media could be in their house. Does that still
2: exist? I don't know when it was, like, a broadcast, but now there's Pure Flix, which was created as a Christian competitor to Netflix. So Pure Flix is where you can go for your children's TV shows. It's where you can go for your horrible Christian movies. I got a, a free subscription for a week once so I could show James one of the Left Behind movies because it's like so cringe it's this combination of white christian nationalism and violent anti-semitism and tim LaHaye just oh it's awful (laughs) yeah if you want to see some really bad movies get pure flicks
1: all right my grandparents are very much into (laughs) they figured out how to do youtube very minimally uh so they watch a lot of like John Hagee
2: um oh my god oh he's a heretic we can't we can't do that John Hagee's a heretic my grandma loves him so much
0: I remember him standing there with the big chart behind him that he had drawn out with all his theory about the chosen people and all that stuff and he would like go off talking about it and
1: and drawing stuff on his whiteboard intense Chuck Missler (laughs) so much Chuck Missler um have you guys heard of him no.
0: I don't think I, I know him. Who's that?
1: He, I think he was like a professor or something, but he spends a lot of time like breaking down the Bible in like a quote unquote scientific way, <laughs> like scholarly way. Um, wow. Has a lot of like videos explaining things and how you can tell like, I remember, I block out most of it. There was, like, a part of the video where he was, like, and you can tell somebody's an angel if they have six fingers on each hand or they're, like, a Nephilim. Oh. Or I was, like, what is happening?
0: Wow. Now, um, yeah, so you guys are younger than me. I grew up with Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, Tammy Faye. I love Tammy Faye. <laughs>
2: The cult cult of Tammy Faye now, of all these people that are just like, she was actually, like, not the worst and was super kind. She kind of like the Veggie Tales. Like, she was a good thing to come out of this.
0: She was. And I always, I liked her. And, honestly, she had a big impact on my generation in deconstruction, too, because I, I haven't been able to find it. But there was an interview, I don't remember who it was with, which is probably why I can't find it. Um, where she said she found her, basically, I, she found her salvation in her in makeup, right? Because she was raised very, uh, you know, very strict and women can't wear makeup. And so that, but that was basically the only safe way for her to express herself. And so she went with it, and she didn't care that she was a, the joke. Everybody was making jokes about her, and she didn't care that they were ridiculing her about that because she had found this one way that she could safely express herself in this framework that she was having to live in. And so she did it unapologetically, and like, that was huge for have girls. You seen
1: movie?
2: Through the eyes, I of have people?
0: not seen it. I do want to see it. I
2: think it's on HBO. Okay max yeah i'll look i, I have hbl max
0: i would look yes because i do want to watch it because that was a that was a big deal and i mean you know for girls my, of my generation to hear like oh maybe we don't have to follow every rule right so it plants the seed that eventually yeah. leads to the oh what why are these rules here yeah she
2: and reminds you, me a lot of my gg my grandma who was raised nazarene um another kind of as we're talking about these like mainline churches that are also like deeply fundamentalist nazarenes were very and i always remember a conversation i had with her one day she was talk- telling me about her neighbor who was charismatic pentecostal and said something about like Gigi was something like yeah we knew they weren't like real christians she talked a lot about god's grace and like <laughs> but now i wish the church had talked a lot more about god's grace and you could just see her working through her own church trauma And how she could never measure up and even though she never gave up her faith um you know she was she did what she was taught to do she expressed herself in makeup and beauty and was a kind caring person with a little bit of texas spice but very much like tammy faye like she had to find her own expression and execution of this
0: the not real christians thing oh Mm -hmm. my that's that's i i get so tired of hearing that those aren't real christians you know, Christians don't act like this. No, clearly they do. Well, even right? if the
2: Christian left, like progressive right. Christians, moderate Christians be like, well, those aren't real. I'm like, no, they very exactly. much are. They've been defining this movement for a very long time. Or y'all are part of the same religion as much as you want to claim somebody else is responsible for their entire faith system, too. You just have to understand that you have different beliefs. But this isn't about you. This is about understanding what's harmful.
0: Right. You don't get to define what they are and what
2: they aren't. And...
0: I think it also there it, it because it's part of that cyclical reasoning though uh, we're the ones who got it right and everybody else is wrong <laughs> so it reinforces that so they don't feel the re- they don't feel the need to be responsible for the harm being caused mm-hmm. by other people within their faith
2: exactly
0: exactly I also hate the everything happens for a reason and it's all God's will thing yeah because for it's one It is, but, and it also removes accountability. Yes. I don't have any responsibility for my own actions if everything is just God's will and it must have been meant to happen that way.
2: Yeah, which they tell you a lot when you are expressing pain in the church or you're trying to leave. There's a lot of conversations about, oh, you were, you know, people hurt people, but Jesus is there or Jesus loves you or you were just hurt by the church, which is full of sinful people. No one's perfect versus going, yeah, I have... structural issues with like the accountability of the church this isn't about one person this is about the entire system of the way this operates
0: see that's where i started with deconstruction for the most part was i had issues with the structural setup and the organization and the power dynamic say so that so i stopped going to church but then it took me several more years To be like, you know what? I I don't actually believe any of this. (laughs) You know, first I moved into okay, you know what? I'm more like Gnostic Christian, Gnostic Christianity of old. You know, I don't believe in the divinity of Christ. You know, but he had some good teaching. You know, that kind of thing. And like, it took me many steps to get there because in the back of your mind, you're still hearing you're gonna burn in hell if you don't believe this. And I've known a lot of people, there've been a lot of people in my family, you know, we have boarding school and all of that and a lot of trauma, even with that trauma, there's a lot of them that will go back to church when once they get older, they get ill, because they're still terrified that they're going to go to hell. So they got to go make right with, you know, white Jesus, (laughs) just in case, right? Um, because that trauma is still there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, my parents decided that Thanksgiving Day was a really good time to text me and tell me that I was in danger of going to hell.
0: Oh, that was thoughtful.
2: It was really, yeah, we hadn't talked for about a month, and they decided that was the the good day to tell me. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) This was part of a longer story. Like, (laughs) as far as telling people they're going to hell. (laughs) Yeah. Which, yeah, it's still there. But I, I ultimately decided that being afraid of going to hell and then choosing something like christianity or choosing to believe that's just coercion that's not safe, and that's what i had for a long time and i really tried but i could never believe i never believe and i beat myself up over it for years but i just intellectually i could understand what they're saying but it just never felt real so i can't
0: remember the first time i said that out loud i wish i could because i I see because I know it was hard like it took it took a it took a long time to get there because you are the, especially you know because it's it's so fear-based it's the, the teachings and everything it's so um fear and shame based that it's really hard to get out of that and be willing to be like okay you know what if I go to hell for this that I'm fine with that if <laughs> if going to heaven means I have to be around you people I don't want to be there you know <laughs> i don't know
2: and no one could ever give me a satisfactory explanation of heaven that was any better than loving my community here or working for good here like i don't want you i want to stay here and breathe fresh air and help my neighbor
0: (laughs) right did you ever watch the movie black snake moan There is a scene in there where the pastor comes out and he's talking to um, the character that's played by Christina Ricci and she's asking about heaven and hell. And that's what that's basically what he says. He says people focus too much on heaven and, and, you know, we're not supposed to be doing good things just, you know, to try to do something up there. It's about what we're doing here and to, you know, and to end. And how we act here, and that really helped reframe a lot in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I, I had already, I had been thinking of that for a very long time. But anytime you voice that to people within the church, you get told, no, that's works, not faith, and you have to have faith, right? You know, the whole thing, right? They gaslight you and say, so, like, no. Um,
1: Can I tell you guys something funny that just happened? Wow. Well, were talking about that movie and i got an email from wicked clothes that said satan loves you for who you are
0: oh <laughs> i need that
1: <laughs> I my little notifications and i was like this is perfect timing
0: oh, that's amazing <laughs> i love lucy <laughs>
1: lucy loves us for who we are yes out.
0: oh my goodness there was something else i was gonna bring up but i can't remember <laughs> Oh, how old is the earth?
1: <laughs> I know. Years old.
2: Well, that's. Uh, I was uh, trying to create a better answer, but the first thing in my head was 6,000 years. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> my parents still have Kent Hovind VHSs from the 1990s.
0: Oh, wow.
2: There was an Answers in Genesis conference at Tulsa Bible Church when I was about 11. And we actually had to leave the second day of the conference with Buddy Davis early to go to our Saturday afternoon Keepers at Home girls group that was an alternative to Girl Scouts where we learned homemaking skills. Wow. I didn't get to finish my dinosaur uh, clay structure. That makes me sad for you. you It would have been a lot better than learning how to knit and wearing dresses around a bunch of other prepubescent girls who didn't really want to be there either.
1: You should make a dinosaur
0: clay structure now. Yes, make your own dinosaur. <laughs> oh, wow. So my, uh, <laughs> so my dad had said most of the people around us believed, you know, the new earth thing, right? But in his head, he couldn't reason this with the evidence, right? So he's like, so the earth has to be older than actually six thousand years so he in his head he he came up with this that so a year is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day right so it wasn't six literal days you know and we are just trying to figure out things that are not our business and we're just supposed to trust god your dad (laughs) is like wait a
2: second what your dad is what they call an old earth creationist
0: right that's where he ended up and but it was hilarious it was hilarious because i was like okay but now you're getting away from that whole fundamentalist thing of everything being literal so is it literal or is it not literal and he's like you just go my Jesus.
2: (laughs) one of my only friends in like junior high and high school her dad was had his own ministry called jesus created ministries you can still see their website if you google it based in, um, oh, where was, Turleton, Oklahoma, near Manford. And they would, every few weeks, get a bus of Christian school kids, homeschool kids, churches, and they would go visit the Creation Museum. And he actually broke with Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis because they eventually hired a female scientist. And Clint did not believe that women should have any jobs or serve anybody but their husbands, and he just had to break with Answers in Genesis over this fundamental aspect of, of Bible
1: that makes me feel like, yeah. yeah
0: so sexism was the, <laughs> the yeah
1: pretty much yeah
0: the whole like yeah. daughter,
2: uh, stay-at-home daughter movement he was really part of that like they're still at home yeah. and a lot of emotional abuse there and even some amount of like physical abuse and I just yeah. uh, makes me angry he makes me angry to, to remember his influence just makes me angry
0: you know, um, I I've talked to Carrie about this before. Like, you know, we spent so much time in that, and and even once I was grown, you know, I came back. I worked for the outreach for ten years. I did the Bible. I was Bible study teacher. It just started raining, so if y'all start hearing things, that's what that is. I, I'm recording it from my van, so um, so we. You know, we did all of this, and I feel an immense weight about the harm that was done to the community by my family. Um, matter of fact, you mentioned Harry Potter earlier. The whole, the only reason I read the Harry Potter books was because I was the Bible study teacher, and people were asking about it should they keep their kids from reading it? So I read the series in order to get my opinion on that. Um, but hey, that's
2: sort of the most people who wrote books without ever reading them
0: true and that's what was my thing i was hearing them talk on christian radio about it and i was hearing this i'm like you know what i'm gonna read this because i I don't know you know because going back to you know dad always telling you don't just follow what people say fight out for yourself and then my aunt that i mentioned earlier wanda she she taught me to always study to prove yourself wrong what you start with your assumption and then you study to prove yourself wrong and only if you cannot find any evidence against you can you believe your evidence is solid that supports you when it came to scripture, right? So in any event, in this whole process of this homestead I'm starting and all of this, one of the, the, the property that my son has ended up with living in was the building that was built for the outreach that was never finished. And uh, so as we were cleaning it out, I discovered the library that I built and all of our um, literature for teaching Sunday school, all the extra Bibles that we used to hand out, all of the, um, all the literature, literature that I made and printed for years and years, uh, were all stored in this building. So I got to, systematically go through and burn every bit of it (laughs) and it was very cathartic (laughs) to be able to have that like the real tangible release of you know letting all of that go and you know doing the work in my community to help heal some of that that harm that was caused.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a big question to confront for a lot of people that have come out of this. You know, Joshua Harris is probably the most famous example to leave the faith and sorry his own deconstruction process, but the harm he created impacted millions of lives and not just it's not over. Like I like I had medical issues because of purity culture and his contributions to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us do. Like the rates of vaginismus for women in evangelical communities is huge. Not to mention that a lot of those limits were not straight, like they were told they were, um, which is part of the contributing factor. So when Joshua Harris goes and tries to create a program to help people deconstruct and it, pays, it costs $250 a session, people are like, you're profiting off of the harm that you already did. This is not okay. And he took it down. And so that's very different than, you know, these small Sunday school teachers like you who are just following this tradition and path that you are already on, and then eventually you get on your own. But at the same time, like confronting the harm that we do is really important, is I think a part of like deconstructing in an honest way. Like, I got super into politics in 2008, I was a racist teenager. I listened to Rush Limbaugh, I thought that Mexican immigrants were here to get us all because that's what I was told. But I have to consider and remember the fact that I was a child. But also, I'm still responsible for how I thought and felt at the time. And I have to call myself out for attitudes that were problematic and how they contribute to who I am today. Um, And let that be a lens into um, how I love my community and the people around me and the people not around me even better. Um, Because it's really hard to acknowledge that we have that capability to be so harmful. But obviously, it's different since I'm a cis white woman. A lot of my harm has been social and from parallel peer relationships. But that doesn't mean it hasn't been harmful to people, and it doesn't mean I haven't said things in the past um, without knowing it that have really hurt the people that I care about.
0: Well, thank you, thank you for being here, and thank you for being so open.
2: Thank you. Um, I know it's really hard talking to me. I'm sorry if I like talked way too much. I saw this fear that you
0: are great. Okay, that's great. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to make sure you don't miss any of the uploads, be sure to turn on those notifications so you uh, you will know as soon as those go up. Um, also, like us on social media at Hypoxia Podcast. Or uh, the easiest way is to go to our website, hypoxia.com. That's H-O-P-O-K-S-I-A dot com. And the links to all the socials and all the podcast feeds are right there. And we just want to thank you all for sharing your time with us, hanging out with us, and we hope to um, spend more time with you in the future.